Hello, my name is Annalise. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in the place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. The word of the Lord. Hi, good morning. My name is Cor. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate Father and God of all comfort. He's the one who comforts us in all our troubles, so we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. That is because we receive so much comfort through Christ in the same way that we share so many of Christ's sufferings. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Nicole Dolin. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 5, 1 through 3. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the Lord. As we pray, let's try that again. Are we all right? All right, let's pray. Father, <laughs> prayer with modern technology. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would inhabit this place, that you would speak to your people, that you would open our ears to hear, you'd open our minds to understand, and most importantly, you would open up our hearts, the places inside of us that are wounded, that are sore, that are broken, that are distressed, that are distracted, the places inside of us where we carry our fear and our doubt and our anxiety and those places that sometimes we try to hide from one another, would you open them up to your love, to your healing, to your grace, to your mercy? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, I'm going to try to do this with a mic in my hand. You may be seated. It's good to see you in New Life downtown. If I drop the mic at any point, you'll know why they normally tape it to my head. Um, just because so, I'm, I'm to do too many things at one time. It's just really hard for me. I'm not that quite that coordinated. Uh, welcome everybody here. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. We love you. We miss you. We hope that you are doing well. We're continuing to pray for those of you who are at home because you're not able to gather uh, for all kinds of reasons, uh, particularly those of you who are homesick. We love you. We miss you. Pray God's blessing upon you this morning. The fundamental question that sort of fills or inhabits the musings of philosophers and ethicists and the 5 a.m. crew at Waffle House with their Folgers coffee and their scattered chunked and whatever 
other things you can do to those hash browns. The fundamental question <laughs> of those conversations is, what is the good life? In Christian terms, we may say, what is the blessed life? Or what is the kind of life that God blesses? Who is it that God blesses? And why is it that he blesses? On what grounds does he make those determinations to pour out his favor on people? If we were to conduct sort of a sociological analysis of our culture, our cultural versions of who is blessed may sound something like this. Blessed are the rich, the powerful, the bold, the beautiful, the healthy, the satisfied, the successful, the fortunate, the mad fit, the assertive, the popular, the privileged, the carefree, the educated, the elite, the self-employed, the self-made, the self-sufficient, the self-assured, those who are retired or those who are young, those who are married, especially those with children, the able-bodied, the pain-free, the trouble-free, those who can buy duty-free, the housed, the homeowners, the brilliant, the articulate, the athletes, unless you play for the Seahawks, Sorry, Jay and Troy. I just had to slide that in. I know it's cruel, wasn't it? <laughs> Blessed are the celebrities and the influencers and the leaders. Blessed are those who have everything that they need, everything that they want, everything that they go after, and they have it now, and they have it to the full. And we have our own sort of Christianized versions of that, or Christianized additions that we may add to that, things like blessed are the ministers and the missionaries, the homeschoolers, the Christian school graduates, and those who shop at Hobby Lobby and eat at Chick-fil-A and vacation in Branson. I'll let you fill in the rest from there. <laughs> Have you been to Branson, Ken? That's <laughs> the presence of those things may certainly be a sign of blessing. But if these are the only signs of blessing, then what does their absence mean? What does their absence mean in our lives? What happens to us when life doesn't quite add up the way that we think it was going to? What does this mean for us when life doesn't go our way? when things don't turn out the way that we hoped or dreamed or imagined or even prayed for them to happen that way? What does it mean for us when life unravels, when it comes apart at the seams, when we suddenly find ourselves encountering extreme disappointment, when we experience the loss of an infant, the loss of a child, the loss of a pregnancy, the loss of a parent, the loss of a spouse, the loss of hope, the loss of a friend? What does it mean for us when we ourselves are facing death in a way that we never thought that we were gonna have to, at least at this point in our lives? What does it mean for us when we receive that diagnosis? What does it mean when all of a sudden we find ourselves in an unforeseen place? What does it mean when we experience the betrayal of another or that our life is upended by some kind of disaster? What does it mean for us when the business plan doesn't work out, when we lose our job, when we lose our housing? What does it mean when we face all kinds of troubles that we face in this life? 
what does it mean for our life with God? And how do we respond to those moments? Typically, I think what we do when all of a sudden things don't seem to be working out for us the way that we think they're supposed to or the way that we've been told that they're going to, sort of our first response for some of us is, I just need to try harder. We put together a 10-point self-improvement plan to sort of impress God. We think if we just can try harder or do more or read longer or pray louder that somehow we can earn God's favor back in our lives. For others of us, we hit those moments where we come to the end of our rope and we just give up. That our response is just to disappear. Disappear from community, disappear from friendships and relationships, sort of shrink back into the shadows for some in those moments, then we go down a journey of self-destruction. For others, we go down a road of deconstruction, of just trying to say, I don't even know what to do with this anymore. For most of us, though, we sort of fake it till we make it. We fake it until we can fix it. We sort of try to hide all of those pieces of our lives and just sort of pretend that we have it all together and take what Celebrate Recovery calls our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, those things, we just sort of tuck them back and say, if I can just keep them in the dark long enough, then maybe I can figure it out. At least until then, I can fool somebody. I can fool my community, and maybe, just maybe, I can fool God. The other option we have is that we start to rethink our theology and say maybe our definitions of these things are actually what we need to reconsider. We're beginning this year delighting in the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna be in Matthews chapters five and six and seven over the next couple of months. I encouraged you last week to just spend time reading those passages, memorizing portions of them, memorizing all of them, whatever it is that helps get those things inside of us. But the Sermon on the Mount develops two major themes that were introduced in the previous passages in the book of Matthew. Those two major themes are the emphasis on kingdom and discipleship. Kingdom and discipleship. Right before the Sermon on the Mount begins, Jesus comes bursting on the scene, and he says this, from that time on, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and your lives. Why? Because here comes the kingdom. And the versions say, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand it's near. And then upon issuing that royal decree, Jesus starts to summon his disciples. He starts calling people to himself. He says, come and follow me to a group of fishermen, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Come and follow me, and I'll actually redirect and reorient your entire life. In his ministry, Jesus proclaims the proximity and the availability of the kingdom of God. And then he invites people to follow him in the kingdom way of life. He says, the kingdom is here. Now come and follow me, and I will teach you to live in God's reign. I'll teach you what it means to live inside of God's kingdom. Come follow me, and you will become kingdom citizens and learn how to live in the way of the king. 
And so the Sermon on the Mount, in many ways, is Jesus' manifesto on kingdom discipleship. It's what the whole sermon is about, through and through. And it has to be understood within that framework that Jesus is announcing the kingdom and calling us to live inside of it. We have to understand the whole sermon that way, including its most famous lines, its opening lines known as the Beatitudes, which is Latin for the word blessed. It's not a fancy way of saying be of this attitude. It's a Latin for blessed. And though the idea of have this attitude is one of the ways that this list has been understood, it's been understood as sort of a list of virtues by some. Others understand it as a description of Jesus's life. Others sort of a path of what discipleship looks like. And all of those things may be true. But I think the Beatitudes primarily work in another way. And I think they would have hit the original people that were gathered together on that hillside to listen to Jesus. I think they would have hit them in an entirely different way. Because what I think the Beatitudes are doing is that Jesus is coming on the scene and announcing the kingdom, calling people to himself. And what they want to know is, well, who gets in on that? Who is that for? Who qualifies for kingdom participation? For whom is this message that you're bringing, Jesus? For whom is it good news? What does the arrival of the kingdom mean for those people, for those that you're looking in the eye and inviting to come and follow you? There are eight Beatitudes primarily. There's a ninth one that is sort of a repetition and expansion and even a personalization of the eighth one. But the first eight all follow this same format. They each begin with the word blessed. Or in some translations, the word happy. Uh, I just don't like that translation as much. <laughs> blessed, I think, is better because what Jesus is doing is that he's declaring God's favor He's addressing those who have received the divine favor of God, not those who are experiencing some sort of like, ah, don't worry, be happy kind of aspect of life, but a recognition that God's favor has come upon them. And then the next thing that Jesus says is he names the group that he's pronouncing favor upon, that he's announcing blessing upon. And then each one of them concludes with the content of that blessing, with what Jesus blesses each group with, with what that blessing looks like. Interestingly, that blessing is identical in the, in the first and the eighth one. The first one and the last one, Jesus promises this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the emphasis there is on the word is, theirs is, right now, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes themselves are bracketed by the current reality of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God has come. And all of the Beatitudes are understood within the context of the kingdom. All of the blessings are actually kingdom conditions, things that are true inside of the kingdom of God. And the middle six, though, interestingly, all occur in the future tense. For they will receive something. 
These blessings, I think, are centered not in the present reality of the kingdom, but in the future realization of the kingdom, of what is going to be true in the future. It says this, for they will be comforted, for they will inherit the earth, for they will be filled, for they will receive mercy, for they will see God, for they will be called the children of God. All of these contents, I think, are characteristic of what God's rule looks like. And when God is king, this is what his people experience. They experience comfort. They experience provision. They're filled with righteousness and justice. They experience mercy. They experience the very presence of God. And they're set inside of family. They're brought into community. These are the things that are true of God's kingdom. So those in the kingdom receive those things in parts now and then in full in the future when Jesus returns and he makes his kingdom present in every way and every, every sphere on this earth. But we can assume in thinking about that, if that's what each group will be blessed with when the kingdom comes into their lives, then we can make the assumption that that's actually what they lack now. That they lack those things. Which is why the kingdom is good news. Why it is good news to the poor. Why it's good news to those who lack comfort, who lack land or provision or resources, that lack righteousness, that lack justice, that lack mercy, that lack the presence of God in their lives, that lack a sense of deep rootedness and community. And so I think each of these things that Jesus says, blessed are this group, he's naming a group that is experiencing profound lack the profound absence of something in life that they desperately wish that they had, that they long for, that they cry out for. He begins and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke's version just says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are economically, physically, spiritually disadvantaged and oppressed. Blessed are those who find all of their efforts to be inadequate. Blessed are those who don't have everything that they need. Blessed are those who want and experience that. Those who know their need and look to Jesus for their redemption. Look to Jesus to meet and to fill that in some way. He goes on and says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who experience loss, who suffer tragedy, who know injustice, Blessed are those who felt the sting of death because they will be comforted by Jesus himself. That Jesus himself will come to them. Next one is blessed are the meek. And I don't think Jesus is talking about an attitude of humility here. I think he's talking about a condition of powerlessness. Blessed are those who are intimidated. Blessed are those who've been humiliated. Blessed are those who've been violated. Blessed are those who've lost much. And they do not or cannot 
do anything to stop it or to change it. But all they can do is trust Jesus to restore what's been taken from them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger and thirst for righteousness because they're acutely aware that they don't have it. That they lack it. That they lack righteousness. That they lack justice. And they cry out for it. They thirst for it. They hunger for it like a deep physical longing because they've done wrong and wrong has been done to them. They find themselves empty and all their attempts at satisfying righteousness and justice in the world, they find their attempts to be insufficient. And they know that they need Jesus to make them right and to make the world right. Blessed are the merciful. It's one of those things that we now prize in our world. We prize those who are merciful. But much of the world does not. Much of the world is like a Cobra Kai dojo. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. <laughs> in the ancient world, that's typically how they kind of thought of things. You were meant to be gracious and benevolent and merciful only to those who could pay you back. It was unwise to show mercy to anybody who couldn't pay you back, who couldn't actually give you something in return, who couldn't actually advance your social status or your social standing. So when someone is merciful to those who couldn't reciprocate, the world thought of that as naive, as unwise, as leaving yourself open to being taken advantage of. And typically, those who showed that kind of mercy were fellow sufferers, or those who would, knew what it was like to be in that kind of condition. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who suffer with Jesus and those who suffer with those that Jesus suffers for. Blessed are the pure in hearts. Another thing that our tradition now prizes, that we celebrate a purity of heart, where we think about it in terms of integrity and a clear conscience and desiring the right things in the right way. But I think Jesus' original hearers, that group gathered on the mountainside, who had just been healed from all kinds of sickness and disease, those who had just had demons cast out of them, I think they would have heard, blessed are those whose outside is unclean, who are ritually or ceremonially impure, those who because of all of their afflictions and diseases cannot enter the temple, cannot engage in community worship, but whose heart longs for that. And Jesus comes to them and says, blessed are you who are pure in heart and yet everything on the outside is a mess because you will see God. When the kingdom comes, you'll be able to enter in as well. Blessed are those who cannot heal or restore themselves, but their core longs for God to show up and do it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Again, one of those things that we now prize in our world. We think of peacemaking as the way of which we should follow in Jesus' footsteps. And some of that is true, but we also have to recognize the difficulty of that task and what that means. Tomorrow, we're gonna celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It should be a stark reminder of the cost of peacemaking in the world, how much it can cost a person 
and a community to follow the way of Jesus in searching for peace in this world. Those who are peacemakers are those who put themselves in the middle of conflict and end up villainized on both sides. And in the ancient world, when you put yourself in that place, it also meant that you were putting yourself at risk of losing your home and losing your family, that you'd be without a place to live. You'd be disavowed by those that you were connected with. And so all you can do is turn to Jesus for belonging. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, even though no one else wants to claim them as parts of their family. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, righteousness sake, those who are reviled and slandered, those who are falsely accused, those who try to do what's right and stand up for what's right, and it still doesn't work out. And especially when they do so on account of their association with Jesus. They're following the way of Jesus, and all they find is trouble at every corner. Blessed are even those who are righteous, because if you're righteous in the way of Jesus in this world, then you will experience trouble, persecution, harassment. Just ask the global church of what that looks like. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who remain faithful even in the midst of the most painful of circumstances. See, I think what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is Jesus is declaring God's blessing over our lack and our need. And Jesus is coming and declaring blessing over our lack and over our need. We could say, maybe Jesus would say something like this, blessed are the poor and the powerless, the weak and the weary, the guilty and the ashamed, the inadequate and the insufficient, the shy and the lost and the lonely, the doubters and the mourners, the sick and the spent and the helpless, the unlucky, the unhoused, the uneducated, the unknown, the unpopular, the unemployed, the unrighteous, the unjust, the unsatisfied, the imprisoned, the addicted, the needy, the disfigured, the disabled, the disenfranchised, the failures, the misfits, the miscreants, and all those who've missed out and gone without. Blessed is everybody in this room. Because that describes all of us at some point in our lives, and we don't have to hide that fact. We're blessed not because those are desirable or virtuous conditions. We're blessed because Jesus has come near to everyone in every condition. We're blessed because Jesus and the kingdom have come close to everyone in every situation we find ourselves in. Blessed because the, the kingdom is freely available to everyone who will rely on Jesus. Blessed because Jesus has come to put the world back together so it's not on our shoulders. Blessed because things will not always be this way. That the trouble and the pain that we're in right now will not always be our story. Because Jesus is already here. The kingdom has already arrived, and the kingdom will come. And all of those things will be changed. We're blessed because the gifts of God's grace, the gift of God's mercy, the gift of God's love, does not, or they precede all of our efforts. They do not come on the backside of us proving ourselves to him. But they're always on the front side and in the middle and on the backside. 
Jesus is the one who is always coming to us with grace, with mercy, with favor, with blessing. Blessed because all these things have been freely given to everyone. Blessed quite simply in the words of the Beatitudes because in every situation and circumstance and condition we find ourselves in, the kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus has drawn near, not to the places of your strength, not to the places where you have it all fixed and put together and set right, but Jesus has come near in all of our brokenness, in all of our despair, in all of our desperation, in all of our places of lack and need. Blessed because Jesus comes to provide comfort to us. Jesus comes to bring restoration. Jesus comes to make us righteous. Jesus comes to enact justice on our behalf. Jesus comes to extend mercy to us. Jesus comes to reveal God to us. And Jesus comes to set us in family, to set us in community. And then as Jesus always does, he then does the most fascinating things in those midst. He then takes us and employs us to do the very thing for others that he has done for us. He meets us in those places of our need and our lack and our brokenness. And then he sends us alongside people who experience the very same things that we do. Lack and brokenness and need. And with the comfort he's given us, he sends us to comfort others. Second Corinthians, Paul put it this way. He's the one who comforts us in all of our trouble so that we may comfort other people in every kind of trouble. But we offer the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. We cannot offer what we have not received. The kingdom comes in our places of lack and need. Jesus meets us in those places and he begins to bring the reality of the kingdom into those things both now and in the future. As the worship team comes forward today to lead us into worship, I want us to just take a moment right now and begin to think, what is that place in your life? What is that thing that you're like, you know what, I think Jesus is not available here. I don't think the kingdom can come into this place. I don't think healing or comfort or provision or restoration or community or even the very presence of God is available to my life because of this, because of my lack, because of my need, because of whatever condition or situation that you find yourself in. And today, as we get ready to come to the table, I want you to hear Jesus say to you, blessed are you in your lack and in your need. For the kingdom of heaven is yours. Your lack or your need is not the blessed thing. The blessed thing is those things don't disqualify you from the kingdom. <laughs> but Jesus himself comes to us in those places with his healing, with his strength, with his provision, with his mercy, with his grace, with his love. 
those very things that the people on the hillside thought kept them outside of the kingdom, Jesus said the kingdom is coming for you. The very things that you think keep you on the outside of the kingdom, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is coming for you. It's freely available to you. It's near to you. So come to me and find what you need in me and in me alone. And that's the invitation that we experience as we come to the table in communion. It's Jesus inviting us to come into his presence, saying that the kingdom is available to us. As we talked about last week, the way that we encounter the kingdom is that we recognize the kingdom is coming after us and what we're called to do is turn around and find the kingdom come crashing in. We call that repentance, a turning around. And so every time we come to the table, we begin with that prayer of confession. But I wanna say to you today that as we come to this moment, this is Jesus's table. It's not New Life Downtown's table, it's Jesus's. And so all who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus does what he said he was going to do, that he lived and he died and he suffered and he rose again, he reigns at God's right hand, he's gonna come back again. You're welcome to receive here this morning, regardless of your church background or affiliation. Jesus says you're blessed, come to me. If that doesn't describe you, if you don't believe as we believe, thank you so much for coming this morning, for spending this time with us. We're honored that we're here. We encourage you to keep coming, keep asking questions about Jesus. Maybe we can come to Alpha and have that space to ask more. But if you are ready to believe in Jesus, to receive his blessing in your life and to follow his teachings, we invite you to confess our sin as we ask him for forgiveness once again and once again place our trust in him, our trust that he'll meet us in the places of lack and need in our lives. So let's pray this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us then we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, it's my joy this morning to announce to you the good news of the kingdom, words that are true not because I say them, but because what God has done in Jesus. So would you open up your hands and receive once again the mercy and the favor of God. And Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love toward us. So in the name of Jesus, we are forgiven and we are blessed. The peace of the Lord be with you. All right, we're gonna do something a little bit different this morning during our passing of the peace time. What I'd like you to do in just a moment is I'm gonna invite you to stand and then I'm gonna ask you to turn to someone and to declare this blessing on the screen over one another, to speak the Beatitudes into one another's lives. Now, maybe you know that person that's with you and you know something specific that they need to hear. Or maybe during worship or in this time of prayer, the Lord places something on your heart to share with them. This is a great time to share that. 
But if you're sitting by yourself or sitting with people that you've just met, here's a blessing that you can speak. But there's something powerful about looking one another in the eyes and speaking the very blessings of God into one another's life. So I'd like to invite us to do that. Would you stand? Would you turn to one another and take a moment to pray for one another and to speak blessing into one another's life today? So we continue in worship. If you've got things you're still praying over one another, continue to do so. I'll give you just a few more seconds here. Billy, if you could skip ahead to the next screen for me, that would be helpful. Thank you. Friends, we declare that Jesus is here. And we lift up our hearts. And so let's take a moment to give thanks to the Lord our God. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your Son to be faithful on our behalf. When we weren't enough or didn't have enough, you came and entered in to our need and lack and brought your kingdom to us in the person of Jesus, who on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread. And when he blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat, this is my body which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. And so whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim the great mystery of our faith. The Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come. Just stretch out your hands here to the table as we just invite the Spirit to meet us in this moment. Father, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Would you make us one with Jesus and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until you come back in final victory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the servers up this morning. These are the gifts of God. They have been given for us, the people of God. And so we receive them in remembrance that Christ died for us. And we feed on them in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. In just a moment, we're gonna come forward to receive, and this is how this is going to work. 
beginning in the front of each section, you'll ex exit to your left and come forward and then return on the right. If you're in the balcony, you may come down and join the section here or there are prepackaged elements on a table uh, up near the entrance. If you're not receiving this morning, we ask that you would please come forward if you're able so that no one trips over you in the rows, but you can just walk the servers or walk right past the servers and head on back to your uh, seat from there. If you um, are coming to receive, this is how it will work. The first server will take a gluten-free cracker, dip it in the cup of non-alcoholic wine. They'll place it in your hand. You may receive it right then and there or take it back to your seat and receive it prayerfully with those that are around you. If you would prefer prepackaged elements, just ask the servers. If you'd like a napkin, there are some short tables kind of right before you come to the servers. You can grab one out of there. There are two stations in the front of each section. So as you come down, just rotate uh, between the two of them. If you're unable to come forward for any reason, please ask someone near to you to bring elements back to you. And then after service, if you'd like prayer for any reason, our team here that's serving you communion will be available for prayer. But let's worship together as we come to the table of our Lord.